What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and I'm checking in first to tell you I'm not even going to be on this episode. All right? Got a lot going on this weekend. Could not record anything fresh for Saturday, hoping to have something fresh for Sunday. But as I do every so often, I want to share the OBR Weekly with Barry McBride, our site founder and operator, and OBR beat writer Fred Greetham, because I do think you should be checking out this show on Wednesday night, where Fred does a lot of Q&A as he has insight, inside Berea being there as the beat reporter for the OBR. And then I like to just uh, give, you know, some time, some air time, some, some listens to some guys who are really OGs of the OBR who have been doing this since the turn of the century and are fantastic at what they do for the site. And I really like their show. So want to share it. It is recorded on Wednesday night and you should check it out. You can get your questions answered. You can have a good conversation with these guys and much, much more. Well, you should really be on the OBR's Twitch anyway, because all the great shows. So check Fred and Barry out on Wednesday night. I will check back in Sunday with a fresh episode. So until then, enjoy a Saturday replay of the OBR Weekly. Uh, welcome to Orange, the Orange and Brown Reports OBR Weekly. My name is Barry McBride. I am a professional web dork, and I am here with the legend, Mr. Freddie Greedham. How you doing, Fred? Hard to not be doing good when... You got Myrtle Beach right behind me, 82 degrees here, getting a little R&R after four days of the draft, so I'm doing yeah. great. Well, that's good. Yeah, it looks very pleasant behind you. Um, you know, I love my green screen and all that, but I'd much rather have the background that, that you have right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have already, room for it. <laughs> there, there are already some people hating on you, Fred. Or being in nice, uh, nice weather with uh, uh, sucks to with, be uh, me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and here I am in Cleveland with a dog barking. Um, of course, you know the big story last week. Uh, we got uh, the draft out of the way. Uh, three days of fun. The Browns were involved in two of them, uh, and didn't make a draft pick until the third round and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each of those picks moreover though per usual if you have questions and comments please feel free to make them in the chat i am watching the chat like a hawk and uh we'll be very very happy to uh introduce your comments into the show and your questions into the show uh in in lieu of my own uh preparation uh that i did over the last hour all right, let's uh, let's get into it, Fred. I want to start with your article from today. Uh, you went into the six steps the Browns need to follow in order to get back to the playoffs. They've now had free agency. They've now had the draft. Where do they stand? Yeah, they're pretty much the roster set. We all know that uh, there's only so many spots, so many people they can bring to it. But I wrote that. I started it back before free agency. This was the fourth one. I laid out six steps. Number one was settle the quarterback position, whether they determined that Mayfield, you know, was the answer and it was last year was because of the injury or or what to turn over whatever stone they could and try to upgrade the position. They might not be able to. They, they agreed with what I said I said, if you can get a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, and I actually said in there, you know, Deshaun Watson might be the most available. 
and he might be the best player available. Obviously, there's circumstances, and that's what they chose to do. So to me, they address the number one position. That alone is good enough to get them back to the playoffs, in my opinion, quarterback play, because last year it was all about the offense, fell down. The second one was get a number one wide receiver before free agents even started. He made a great trade for Amari Cooper, gave up a fifth-round pick. Um, and so he addressed that. I wanted him to get a number clear-cut veteran number two. They have not done that so far, but I can live with what they have. There are still five months. I think they're going to look at these guys they have and make a determination if they need to bring in a Will Fuller, Emmanuel Sanders, or even a Jarvis Landry again. You know, there are some veterans out there. The third one was re-sign Jadavian Clowney or or get somebody, you know, a better option, you know, maybe with the first pick. Since then, they traded, you know, their first-round pick, obviously. Clowney has not signed. I did like what they did in the draft with uh, Wright, Alex Wright, but I don't think he's he's ready to anoint him as the answer opposite Miles Garrett. Eventually, he could be. Um, so I'm still – you know, looking for them to bring Clowney back. I have to think that they have some type of idea because with the roster they have and the hopes they have, I cannot believe they're hoping, you know, just hoping that he comes back and they have no other option. I know Jerry Hughes is out there. I saw that Melvin Ingram got like a tender. I'm not totally sure what happened. I didn't even know what that was for a veteran. But I think it means that the team would get a compensation pick if if he signs somewhere else. Doesn't necessarily mean they get to keep him or he's going back there. But so so I still would like them to address defensive end. The fourth one was interior defensive line. I really like the pick of Perion Winfrey. I actually had him in my story as an option at forty four. They were able to get him at 108. I was very impressed with his uh, interview with us when he got drafted. This guy was pacing around, sweating profusely, and he was in his own house. We thought he was trying to catch a plane. He called Kevin Stefanski a dog in his interview. I mean, this guy was barking. If he can play anything near the intensity that he brought in that interview, they might have some. But, but again, I don't know if you can count on a rookie to step right in. I'd still like a veteran. They signed Taven Bryan. They signed Sheldon Day to come back. I still would like them to maybe if they look at a one-year deal with Akeem Hicks or somebody. I know the guy we talked about, Grady Jarrett, got a extended, got a new contract. I think the fifth one was getting the offensive line depth set up. And by signing Chris Hubbard, I think they went a long way there. They also brought back everybody they had last year in reserve. And you got them a year more experience with Hans and and uh, Dunn and Hudson. You did bring in Posick to battle Nick Harris. They did let J.C. Treader go. But I think they drafted a kid, a center in the seventh round. And then they they signed a tackle. I think I read that they gave him one hundred fifty thousand in bonus to Ben Petrula. 
So they must think really high of him because I think that's double what they gave to A.J. Green, who they thought was at the time was like the highest paid undrafted guy. At least that's what I remember with the Browns. And then the last one, but not least, was the specialist. They they got Corey Bajorquez in free agency. I think that solved the punter problem. But then I really liked the pick of Cade York. In my story, I said, you know, draft a kicker. If you can't sign a better option in free agency, they chose to draft the kicker. And they took no chances. They went up and used a fourth-round pick on him. Um, one of the three kickers I listed, and by all accounts, was the number one kicker in the country. And um, and so hopefully he's the answer. They expect to be in a lot of close games. And you don't want to leave it up to the kicker, you know, and, and somebody that you don't have. I don't know if he'll be like Evan McPherson was for the Bengals, but I think he's got a pretty good chance. I saw his game-winning field goal against Florida in the fog, 57 degrees. Uh, yard field goal and I could barely see the goal post so I like that pick so all in all I think they've they've done everything put themselves in position sure I'd like to be greedy and and have a sure shot defensive setup on the defensive line interior and exterior um, you can't get everything but I think with five months to go they will they will assess it and they won't go into the season without some solid answers and I expect at least a veteran if it's Clowney to come in or another guy. Yeah. What kind of grade would you give him? Give him a, a solid B or an A or what would you give him? On the draft? Or uh, on what they over did? Over on the, the six steps. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I'd give him, I'd give him an A minus because I mean, not that I know all, but I said six things. They addressed all of them, but the, it was top heavy at quarterback and wide receiver. And those mm-hmm. were the top two. And, and I think they hit a home run with Deshaun Watson. You know, if he gets on the field, I think he's way better than what they had. And um, I think he gives them a lot of option. I think that alone would put them over the hump. I mean, last year they were eight and nine. We felt like they played terrible and yet they were only one game out of the playoffs. So, you know, I, I, it all comes down to the suspension. If he gets suspended for more than six games, they could get buried in the standings before he even comes back. So ideally he doesn't get suspended, but if he does, hopefully, you know, they can stay afloat if it's a six game, you know, go three and three or no worse than two and four. I still think you can win the division. That's your best way to get into the playoffs. And so, um, no, I mean, I'm I'm most disappointed in the defensive line, um, but you don't know what you have. You don't know what you have with Winfrey. You don't know what you have with Alex Wright. They did pay money. I heard sixty thousand to Glenn Logan. I think was his name from LSU. You know, I never understand it why you don't draft these guys. You know, if you're going to pay them a bonus, but I guess it's cheaper than what they get paid as a draft pick. But um, you don't know what you have in them. You didn't know what you had with Malik McDowell last year either. So um, I think they'll probably assess, see what they have. But overall, I liked what they did. I think, you know, they did everything, you know, and beyond what I was really expecting them to be able to do this offseason, starting with the quarterback. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I saw an article that I'm going to put on the Newswire tomorrow from Pete Prisco. And Prisco basically put the quarterbacks in the NFL into tiers, right? Franchise player, very good, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And last year, he had Watson in as a franchise quarterback. This year, he moved him down a notch. And the reason he moved him down a notch is – not only because of the suspension and the and, and the questionable judgment and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, but also because he hasn't played for a while. And the expectation is that he won't just snap right back into 100% form. Um, even if he's not suspended, uh, you're going to get some subpar play from him or subpar for what he does. Is that a concern that you have, Fred, or do you think we're going to see the 100% Deshaun Watson real quick? Well, I think it will take a little bit of time. I think that he can play in the preseason, so I think that they probably will play him a little more than the normal quarterback. Um, And it depends on the suspension. If it's a six-game suspension, um, yeah, I don't think it'd be expectations are that he'd be looking, rounding into form, you know, until maybe the ninth game. But it's the second half of the season that really matters. I mean, how many times when the when the TVs, you know, and the broadcast put up in the hunt, it's usually about eight or nine games in, you always see a team in the hunt, four and five or four and six, and you're going, really? They're in the hunt? But they are, you know, because it really matters the last few games. So, yeah, I just think they have to stay. And that's, again, when I go back to the division, you just got to stay within striking distance in the division and if they have the games like they did last year in the division in the second half of the season, that's those count double. That's when it counts the most. And to be honest, they could have won the division last year and the, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. You know, it came down to within a game or two of winning the division, you know. So, um, I uh, yeah, I don't think you could keep him in the elite when he hadn't played. And he's going to – 
but I don't think it's going to take him that long to round himself into shape. He's very athletic. If anything, you know, it's, it's like, he's got a little more freshness, you know, and, and I think that that's why he's here this off season. I think that's why he'll be in training camp and, you know, usually the suspension starts week one, they're allowed to go to training camp and, and preseason. So I think that, He'll get a lot of work, obviously. Then he won't have as much rust when he picks back up. But yeah, I think I think he'll be fine. He's only like twenty six years old. Ironically, he's younger than Baker Mayfield, who just turned right. twenty seven. Right. Interesting uh, question from DD Nineberg here. He says, "Will Browns fans be patient?" if he does show some rust at the start of the season or will the sky be falling uh, if he's struggling? Um, well, knowing Cleveland Browns fans, there's going to be a wide variety in responses, right? It's not the, the fan group has patient people in it. It has inpatient people in it. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in how the media will, re- will react because I think there'd be some in the national media that, you know, wag their finger and say, yeah, we told you so. This was a big gamble and the Browns are going to lose, you know, as a result. And it wasn't worth it. And uh, others will be a little bit more patient. Um, but, you know, how, how long do you think it would take him to get back to, you know, full speed, Fred? You, like three games, you expect him to be back in rolling at full steam? Yeah, I think so. Think about this. Most of these guys – you know, the, the franchise quarterback doesn't play in the preseason. Maybe, a, you know, a series or two is about, to be honest, all they play. Even in the even in the rehearsal game, they were only playing maybe the first quarter. And think about that. So the guy who ends his season in the 1st of January doesn't play really till September. And they kind of play themselves into shape with a 17-game schedule. So – okay, let's say he plays training camp, he plays more than normal in the preseason. I think that's that's a much shorter break, even if it's six, eight games, it's only a month or two. You know, I, I don't think it's going to take as long. He's athletic. Um, think about the bowl game when he played Ohio State. You might not want to, but he torched the Buckeyes. And how much, you know, between their last game is what, in December? Or around, I don't even remember. It was it Thanksgiving, and then they don't play the right. ball till the first of January. That was six yep. weeks or so, wasn't it? Yep. He didn't look too rusty to me. You know, right. I mean, I think it's a little overblown how athletic these guys are. And he's only two years out from leading the NFL in passing, forty-eight hundred yards the last time he played. So, wow. You know, I mean. Even if he's three quarters, that might be better than what we've seen with the Browns. Right. And he right. and he has his legs, you know, he can run, you know, if, if it takes him a little while to get in flow with everything. So I'm not expecting him to play his best right off the bat, but I think he'll be okay. I'm not I'm not too worried about him being extremely rusty. Right, right. Let's dive into some questions here. Uh I had this set up, so I was gonna go through each little each draft pick in order, but uh, I think your questions are more interesting. So let's just jump around those a little bit. This one has to do with uh, Jerome Ford, the uh, big run, big play running back from that loaded Bearcats team. He comes into a situation where he's got Chubb, Hunt, 
uh, Darnus Johnson, Demetric Felton, and now uh, this rookie. Um, you know, the Browns aren't going to carry five <laughs> running backs into the season, right? Somebody has to go. You know, multiple people are not going to be, be part of this roster uh, when they kick off uh, the 2022 season. Um, Fred, a uh, question from Paul is, do you think that there's a possibility that they trade Hunt because they're obviously not going to keep all those running backs? Well, I think there is a possibility. He's in the last year of his contract. You know, a team, it, it really depends on what is offered for him. If a team comes along and said, hey, here's an edge rusher, you know, a front line stud type edge rusher or another position of need, maybe a starting number two wide receiver. I could see him doing that. Um, it really just, you know, just depends on their offer. I think they build in expecting him to be the guy this year. They have high expectations. And so I don't think that, you know, Jerome Ford's going to, you know, deter their plans. They picked him in the fifth round just like they picked Demetric Felton last year. And in talking to these guys last year, or I mean, after the draft, you know, Andrew Barry and, and Paul D. Podesta, you know, this is what you want is competition. You're going to start having good players you're letting go. And um, it, I think it really comes down to Felton and Ford, you know. Last year, nobody thought Dearness Johnson would be kept as the fourth running back but they've been keeping four running backs so if you look at it that way then it would come down to Ford or Felton Felton can do a little more you know I know he's more of a receiver too they said he's going to be used more as a running back this year I think Jack Duffin you know had a thing on how the salary cap plays out and the, and the way teams look at it I think they plan on Hunt this year with Chubb and I would think Johnson also is a possibility of trade. You know, you might sign him for $2.3 million and then trade him, you know, because he could be a starting running back somewhere and you could get maybe, like I said, an asset, somebody that can play for you now to fill a need. Um, they could keep those three and then come down to, to Ford and Felton and one put on the practice squad, you know, but – um, I just think they're they're grooming depth because, as we know, running backs aren't forever. And I do think this would be the last year Hunt is here. It's hard for me to believe that they would extend him after this year. And that's why I think Dernus Johnson's around. The idea is he moves into the number two back after this year if they let Hunt go, but they might not be able to to pay all three of them guys this year. They might decide to trade one of them, just like you said. And I just think Felton Ford, that's where you balance back on the salary because you got guys, you know, at under a million dollars and that really offsets your higher price guys. I met Demetric Felton. I spent a couple days with him up in New York two weeks ago. And I really, you know, really like the kid, hope he, you know, they can keep him around. Um, but who knows? If if Ford can do more, they'll move on from Felton and, and go with Ford. One would think so. Um, <clears throat> you know, the guy to watch, in, in my opinion, is Johnson. Uh, he's the guy who went out and got the new agent, right? 
uh, Hunt's not going to be unhappy in his role, uh, but Johnson will be unhappy in his. I mean, he wants to be at least a number two running back somewhere, and he's got a narrow window of opportunity to make his fortune. Uh, so I, I, I just think that they would get rid of Johnson because, you know, he's just not going to be that happy of a camper. I haven't heard anything about him being unhappy or causing trouble or anything like that, just to be clear. But it seems to me that uh, if you're going to move anyone, you'd want to move him at this point. Yeah, well, but, he was out here fishing two years ago, so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he, he probably really appreciates it. Yeah. But, but if he just signs his contract that he has no option, it's $2.3 million, you know. I know that's not big money, but that's that's mm-hmm. set for life with most people. Yeah. And so yeah. I think he signs his contract and then – and then maybe Rosenhaus pushes for a trade. And uh, if the Browns can get, you know, like I said, a starter at one of the other positions that they need, like wide receiver or on the defensive line, then then that's a good asset. You know, that's why last year a lot of people questioned why in the world did they, did they bring or keep four running backs. Well, it's because if they would have cut Dearness Johnson, he would have went to the Ravens because – they had just lost their top two running backs right. to ACLs, and they didn't want to run against that guy twice a year for a long time. So, I think if they, you know, if they can find a trade partner, trade him to the NFC, he'll have his opportunity. He can get paid, and the Browns can get something out of it. Or they could do the same with Hunt. Either one, I, they could keep them both. But I think, like you said, they could trade one of them. They're both kind of in the last year of their deal. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the Ravens, I'd like to point out, like we do every time this year, that uh, every every time, you know, post-draft, that they had another incredible draft. Uh, They got an A on their draft, as far as I'm concerned, uh, just with the quality picks they they took. And uh, I hated every minute of it. Uh, I hate the Ravens. I hate that they do so well at the draft. And uh, the whole AFC North did fairly well, in, in my opinion. This division is just getting tougher and tougher and tougher as time goes on. It just uh, seems like the AFC, you know, I'll interrupt you, you know, like yeah. we talk about an arms race, you see all the quarterbacks, you know, all come to the AFC and everybody's now on high alert. And so they're all kind of, it seems like they've all upped their game. You know, yeah. everybody knows they have to even get better. You know, there's human I know they don't do this, but there's a tendency to say we're we're look around, and go, hey, we're better than these other teams, and then they and so they're all keep adding, and they right. keep adding stars, and they're all seem to be ending up in the AFC North, you know. So, yeah, that's yeah. why I say the division, you know, is where it's at, and so it's a, uh, yeah, the Ravens. Unfortunately, it's like Ozzie Newsom set the bar, and his assistant is is doing the same thing he did. You know, you kind of wish maybe they'd turn it over to Sashi Brown now that he's the president, let him be the guy drafting, you know, because I don't know if he had that type of record. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, boy, yeah. DeCosta is doing a fine job over there in Baltimore as much as I hate to see it or say it. Uh, let's go to a question from our, our buddy E. Gillen. Uh, and he asks uh, if you think that Isaiah Weston uh, will contribute any to the wide receiver that room this year. Uh, not a draft UDFA, but very, very intriguing player. Um, 
you know, perhaps more intriguing than Mike Woods is from my perspective. But uh, any any early thoughts on him, Fred? You know what? I didn't pay that much attention, but then looking afterwards, um, I was like undrafted free agent. I saw a little buzz about him, and he's ranked as the 39th best wide receiver by Dane Brugler. And the Browns took Michael Woods, who was ranked 44th. So he's even ranked higher. And I looked and I said, oh, he's 24 and a half. He'll be, right. I don't know when he turns 25, but that's why. The Browns don't draft guys like that. And it looks like a lot of teams don't do that. But I thought, or, or his size might not be. You know, and then I look, he's 6'3", almost 6'4". And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. You know, so he might be. And he's a redshirt senior. I don't hear that term too often. So, you know, yeah, he's he's intriguing, and I think he's got a four four uh, time. He could he could be a diamond rough, you know. There and like we said, we know Schwartz was a draft pick, and and Peoples Jones, and now this year Woods and and um, David Bell. But I'd say that he's probably right in the mix. He's got a chance to show himself. I think it works against him, obviously, that they have the guardrails of the age. And so they like a guy that like Peoples Jones, who was like 21. So by the time he's starting to produce, he's only 23 or 24. This right. guy's going to have to be ready to go as early as this year to, to help. But, yeah, I think that he's definitely practice squad, you know, potential. Yeah, I mean, every year at this time, we get these undrafted free agents that are so intriguing. You know, Weston is a very intriguing player. There's a couple of UDFAs, the Brown sign, that, you know, you just wonder what if, you know. And there's certainly a lot of UDFAs who have been successful in this league. But uh, A.J. Green, I think, was the last one who came in with this amount of hype. You know, and he's proven to be a guy who can make the roster and can can help contribute. But uh, it's really a long shot for, for all these guys, but uh, Weston has an opportunity, and the Browns love this relative ath- athletic score, this RAS score, and they pulled in a number of people whose RAS scores are off the charts uh, this year, and obviously an important metric to them uh, as well. So we'll keep an eye on Weston throughout training camp. That's, that is for darn sure. Uh, let's go to uh, Scooter Damas. And uh, Scooter Thomas says Felton is the odd man out unless they move him to wide receiver. Uh, he clarified that in his, his next text that uh, it's not love, it's move. Uh, but, you know, Felton, they say that they're using as a running back this year. That just, I mean, Fred, to me, that doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, given how crowded the situation is at running back and how wide open it is at wide receiver. Uh, do you think they just concluded this guy wasn't going to be a, a significant contributor at, at whiteout? Well, you know, he he was pretty productive. His average was over eight yards a catch and in the slot. And he, he's a Swiss Army knife. You can put him wherever. I think he's really going to have to, you know, that they got Jakeem Grant for the return game. He's really going to have to just find a niche in one of the return areas, special teams, in the slot, running back, whatever it may be. Um, I know they like him, but as this roster keeps getting better and better, you know, it, it, it's going to be harder and harder. There wasn't as many roster spots even open, in my opinion, 
you know, before the offseason started. And now you're, you know, these these young undrafted guys or the lower end picks really help offset your big salaries. And so um, a lot of it's going to depend on the guys ahead of him. If they decide to move on from Hunter Johnson, I think that opens up, you know, spots for them. If they're confident in them, if they're not confident enough with those guys, with Felton and Ford, you know, then, then they probably will keep, keep the, you know, like I said earlier, keep the room pretty much intact. And then it would come down to keeping Ford or Felton. They, they, again, a lot of them like the practice squad. They might think a guy like Felton might not get picked up if he's cut. That goes into a lot of it. They cut guys who they don't think will get claimed with the idea of putting them back on the practice squad. And since, you know, Felton was a six round pick and, Ford's a fifth round pick, you know, they might play games, you know, there on with the practice squad. But right now as the roster looks, yes, I think one of them has to go. A lot depends on what they do with fullback. You know, they, they moved on from Janovich. They have Stanton on the roster. And if they decide to not have a true fullback, because I don't think they used the fullback that much last year. And I don't know with, you know, with Watson and the way the quarterback room is now, if they feel they need one or they don't need one. You know, I think the Ravens use one with Lamar Jackson. But if they move on from Stanton, then it might free up another spot for a fourth, fifth running back. Right, right. Um, Next question comes from Fumble13. This might be a Corey Kennan question because we haven't started looking at the 2023 draft yet. Uh, uh, but he asks, is it true that next year's draft should be deeper than this year's, depending on the number of underclassmen who declare? I thought this was a pretty deep draft because of the COVID year, because that sort of bumped some people back uh, a little bit. And, you know, that's why the Ravens and the Browns both traded down and accumulated a ton of mid-round picks. Um, So I thought this was a pretty deep draft. Have you heard anything about, what we can look forward to next year, Fred? No, kind of ebb and flows. I think because the quarterback class this year was so down, so to say, I heard it's supposed to be a really good quarterback class. And I mean, CJ Stroud's already being talked about the first pick Um, and the kid from Alabama, like those two, the top two, there's always going to be a bunch of them. And that really helps the draft when you have a franchise quarterback like the Browns think they do with Watson because teams usually trade up and kind of it keeps allowing non-quarterbacks to go down. So hopefully next year is a heavy quarterback draft. And But I don't know beyond that. I mean, it always, you know, I remember back in the draft that I think it was Matt Barkley from USC didn't come out for the draft. They said he'd have been the number one pick. He didn't come out the next year. Oh, he's going to be the number one pick for sure. I think he got picked in the fourth round by the Eagles. And so, you know, it's always, you can't forecast it. Um, And with the Browns not having a first round pick, I mean, it's going to be kind of like this year. And you're hoping you're drafting 28th to 32nd or Mm. in that range. And so really, what are you really getting, you know, at that point? So, you know, I think they look at it as trades, free agency is their best way to accumulate here. 
other than some of these holes, you know, for depth. Interesting question from Super Surge as well. He said, so what Baltimore Raven pick did you want the Browns to have? I feel like they took three players I wanted and spent time on. I, I wouldn't say that they had a great draft for the Browns. I think they had a great draft for the Ravens. I mean, that defensive backfield with Kyle Hamilton now is going to look a little bit scarier. And uh, Ojabo, I mean, although they're not going to play him this year, he is another, uh, you know, force uh, in the front seven that uh, we're going to have to deal with from Baltimore. We've had too many of them over the years. I think that they had an absolutely terrific draft. Uh, Ojabo is a guy that I wish we had the luxury of taking. Fred, is there... Anyone else that Baltimore took that sort of stood out to you? <laughs> I'd have to be reminded who they took, you know, to be honest. I would recognize the name, like you said, Najabu is who I had, you know, the Browns taken at 44, and then they traded down. I can't fault them because obviously he wouldn't help them this year, but you could see him as being a Pro Bowl defensive end opposite Miles Garrett. And that's what the Ravens are going to have, you know, down the road. But, um, yeah, the Hamilton was – I kept hearing him talk how he might be the fifth or sixth best player in the draft. But he's kind of like what position – kind of like a JOK, but higher rated. And uh, they get him, and they got Marcus Williams as a free agent. So they got two really good safeties. And so, like you said, you know, I know they made the trade of Hollywood Brown. And they didn't really get a wide receiver, you know, so to say. But I think they got a tight end, you know, or two. So the Ravens always do well. I think it's it comes down to their quarterback play with them, you know, and Lamar Jackson. I just think that the Browns showed that they could contain him. And and uh, so the Ravens are going to be good. I mean, year in, year out, the Steelers always draft well. A lot's going to hinge on the picket, you know. I know that their general manager stepped down after the draft, but he found him Ben Roethlisberger. And, uh, you know, hopefully that he made a mistake with this guy, you know. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, you know, some of those guys, like I say, the the kid from Michigan I, I thought would be a nice – even though I felt like the if they could know they signed Clowney, then I was okay with drafting Najabu and letting him sit and uh, Ojabu, whatever it is. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I love it. We're continuing to get good questions here as uh, my dog sings chorus in the background. Um, so we don't have to use my stuff. We can just use these questions. Let's go to Kevo 680 uh always a uh, asker of good questions. He says, we didn't draft a tight end. Do you think Carlson is on track to come back? Any free agents we could get for depth? So tight end room is looking a little bit light right now. Um, how, how do you suspect we fill that out? Is that going to be Steven Carlson, or do you think they're going to look outside the um, outside the organization? Yeah, I was a little surprised. I was looking for a, a Harrison Bryant type pick in the fourth or fifth round. Evidently, there wasn't somebody that they felt had that upside because, you know, you took Bryant in the fourth round, kind of developed him for two years where he played, and then he's ready to move up and be, you know, number two this year behind Najoku. 
So I don't know what they think of Morris uh, Forrestal or Miller Forrestal. They had him around last year on the practice squad. Uh, I think they, they brought in a um, undrafted free agent. Carlson, I, I think they did like him. Um, and then he tore the ACL. And so I don't know his, his health, if, if they feel he's back to where he was. But I do think that he would be an option. Um, somebody did say Darren Fells. I think Jack Duffin mentioned him. And one of the, you know, here, uh, at this point, I don't know. They might, they might not even be running as many two, three tight ends anymore. I don't know what they'll do. I'd have to think some things change with the, with the new quarterback room, three more athletic quarterbacks. But, um, I believe, I believe that they will definitely have more than the two. They'll bring in a third, maybe a fourth you know, tight end. I know Johnny Stanton played some tight end, so maybe they could look at him as a hybrid tight end fullback. Right, right. And they uh, signed a young man from uh, – played basketball at VCU. And I forget where else. Um, uh, power forward, hoping for another Antonio Gates, perhaps. Is there a kid uh, from Texas Tech that played basketball? Texas too, Tech, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. De Silva um, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they're hoping for another Antonio Gates out of that. We'll, we will see. Um, out of, uh, I wanted to talk about this comment from Scooter Domus as well. He says, uh, solid like the football, uh, the fullback talk. I'm curious as to what they do there well as well, which makes me wonder if we see less under center with Watson primarily working from the gun or pistol. If so, I could see where the true fullback isn't necessary. Does that make sense to you, Fred? Yeah, I mean, I I haven't watched film like Jake and some of our other people, but it seemed to me that that Watson was was in the shotgun quite a bit. I don't know if you know what Kevin Stefanski will do. That's the one. You know, he's not going to disclose a whole lot because that's the one. Uh, I don't know if you call it secret, but you, you don't need to tell what you're going to do, you know, in May. So um, I, I would think because he's got the, I would, I would expect more of the run pass options, you know, because he's a, he's a threat with his legs every time he has the ball in his hands. And uh, so if that's the pistol, you know, whatever offense you call it, um, you know, out of the shotgun type of thing, that's what I would see. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how Stefanski adjusts this offense uh, with the new weapon that he has um, and uh, adapts it to Watson, Brissett, Dobbs, and their strengths versus uh, Baker Mayfield. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other draft picks as well. Um, let's, let's start with the first guy they picked, Martin Emerson, uh, outside corner, out of Mississippi State, they picked him in the third round with the 68th pick. Uh, apparently, you can't have enough corners in the AFC, uh, given the type of quarterbacks that are out there and, and the type of people we're going to be facing on the Cleveland Browns schedule this year. Um, you know, Troy Hill might be an exception, but they brought in a uh, outside corner and traded away a slot corner, so it doesn't seem to me like Emerson is a replacement for Hill. Things have changed a little bit in that um, 
Browns defensive backfield. Uh, what does that tell you, Fred, that they went out and got another uh, cover corner? Well, Andrew Barry told us, you know, it said that you can't, it's like pitchers, you don't have enough of them. And I was, my my jaw dropped a little bit when they drafted a cornerback with the first their first pick, long-awaited pick. They traded down, and that's the first. And then when you looked at the rankings, you know, we, we have a, I have a tendency to look at the rankings by, by Dane Brugler or some, you know, Corey Kenna, some of them, and he wasn't really up there with some of the other ones. In fact, he was projected as maybe a fifth round pick. And, but then you, you talk to some of the other, you know, coaches. I read something today from the coach at Akron, you know, was down there recruiting him. And, and he said, Oh no. when he told Terry Pluto, he said that he said, Oh no. when the Browns drafted him, he said, what's that mean? He said, because he's a Steelers fan. And he was like, that's bad for the Steelers because this guy is really like a lockdown corner. So, mm-hmm. you know, that tells you, you know, maybe there's more to it. And he, the Browns really liked him. And they feel that, you know, they had their top five cornerbacks coming back. You might say that was the strongest position on paper depth-wise. And then when they drafted him, you know, they traded Troy Hill away. So, they have, they still have their top four, you know, back from last year. And then you add Emerson. So I like his size, the six, two, I, you know, I like what, you know, and again, you know, Andrew Barry, if he thought he could have got him in the fifth round, he probably wouldn't have waited or he, he would have waited. So he felt like this is a guy I need to get. He's there. So I'm anxious to see him when he gets out on the field. You know, he's got the size, he's got the length they, they talk about. And so the the statistic, I know at Mississippi State, he's playing in the SEC. There's some pretty good wide receivers. You know, those Alabama kids, the Burks from Arkansas, the stat that jumped out at me, he was only targeted like 13% of the snaps. That means they went right. away from him every play they could. So usually when a team does that, that means – that guy's pretty good. Let's let's go the other direction. So take it for what it's worth. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the uh, response to uh, the pick in the chat room uh, as we were doing our, our live draft coverage was uh, a lot of, you know, who's that guy, right? A lot of meh, you know, couldn't believe that that's who we picked at that position. And, uh you know, I, I, I think what you're talking about Lee, is part of the reason why, right? Uh, between the school that he plays at and the fact that he wasn't targeted a, a great deal uh, meant that he didn't have all those glitzy statistics, right? He wasn't on a lot of highlight tapes because they were busy throwing away from him. And uh, maybe uh, for a cornerback, the fact that you haven't heard of him uh, or haven't heard much about him uh, is sort of a good thing. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm clutching at straws there. Uh, comment from Doughboy82. Uh, he says, everyone would have been happy with Winfrey at 44. Somehow a lot of fans are still pouting. It's crazy to me. Um, I, You know, I agree that people would have been happy with Winfrey at 44, but the sense I get, Fred, is now that we've had a week to digest it, uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm for this draft, you know. I'm seeing the national media folks give it a B minus or a C or 
whatever because there aren't blitzy playmakers at the top of the draft that we picked up. Uh, but uh, I think this team just kicked butt on day three. I thought they did an impressive job in getting the value with Winfrey where they got him. Uh, I thought it was just amazing. And they really had a good day three, in my opinion. Well, that's what you got to do. You know, when you're drafting, you know, they're drafting 13 before they made the trade, but they're hoping every year to be at the end of the draft. And the good teams find ways to continually build depth and be able to turn over to the fifth round pick like Nick Harris, you know, from a guy like J.C. Treader in the third year and, and the Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round and uh, Harrison Bryant in the fourth round. And, you know, Andrew Barry has shown that, it, that he does pretty well, you know, on his picks. And you don't hit them all, but I agree with you. I mean, it started slow, and it got slower when they traded down the second round. You think, oh, boy. But when you don't start until the third round and you're still getting – you know, a B, I mean, that's pretty good. I think most of the drafts are made on first and second round because mm-hmm. unless you're just really into the draft, you don't even know who these guys are on day three. I mean, I'll give it to you. You might, you might have heard of the top 100, but when you get past the top three rounds, you know, it starts going down quickly, you know, unless you're really a draft nick. And so, you know, like I said, the Winfrey, I had him in my six steps as a possibility with that 44th pick. And I know a lot of our 20 days or 20 prospects had him, you know, at 44. And so you get him at 108, you know, and if he can step in and play or be a rotation player, that's a tremendous, you know, pick there. So I expect, you know, to get some contributions out of this year, but you really got to look at your first round as Deshaun Watson and maybe 1B, Amari Cooper. You know, those are your two draft picks. And, uh, you know, so everything else is kind of golden. Yeah, absolutely. Ty Sox points out that, uh, yes, we are not very smart in the chat room. I was in the chat room, so I was bringing the IQ down pretty much uh, throughout the draft. But uh, this show, of course, is the exception. This show we get the creme de la creme or what, however you pronounce it. We get the top echelon of chatters and questioners. That's why we put you guys front and center rather than my stupid questions. Um, let's uh, move on to uh, talk about Alex Wright a little bit. Uh, he's a young talent on the defensive line uh, that gives the Browns a future at the position opposite Garrett. Uh, a lot of the youth that, uh, we had or were not guys I would imagine eventually ascending to a starting role, but Alex Wright has a ton of potential, athleticism off the charts. So I here's my question to you, Fred. Um, if we sign Jadavian Clowney, assuming we get Clowney back, or maybe sign a Hughes or somebody like that, a, a veteran starter, uh, do you feel comfortable with the addition of Wright and Thomas with the depth that we have at the defensive end position? Well, I mean, as far as this year, I would, I would, I think it's all the difference in the world if you bring back Clowney and then you don't have to have right, you know, immediately be the guy, but I really like, I mean, Corey Kinnan was all over him on our, on our stuff and, and had him right pegged at 78. I think he got some attention for that. 
I think in talking to him, he came, he was recruited. He was like 210 pounds and he's just a raw young kid. Now he's like up to two, 270 or something, very athletic. Um, a lot of potential, a lot of, you know, all the way around. So I really like the chance to develop him and get some experience this year and maybe, maybe be in the rotation from day one. But I hate to count on him as your starter from day one. They got Curtis Weaver, you know, coming back, and they got Chase Winovich, you know, as a candidate. And then, like you said, Isaiah Thomas. But, yeah, I really like, you know, the upside with Wright. But I really think you need to have a veteran immediately penciled in as the starter, whether it be Clowney or then go get Jerry Hughes if you can't get Clowney and get somebody you know can immediately play and you don't have to worry, you know, you have them more as depth and development. You don't put that extra pressure because it takes some time sometimes for pass rushers to, you know, to adapt to the NFL. And you'd hate to put all that pressure from day one that you got to immediately step in because you know with, if Garrett has him opposite him, they might triple team Garrett, you know, and then that puts even more pressure on a rookie to step up and, and produce. So I like the pick. I like the production I saw with Isaiah Thomas, you know, as well. It's kind of interesting when they pass, they got the three guys from Oklahoma, but they got Winfrey and then they got, uh, was it the writers, Michael Woods. Or was it Thomas? Whatever. Both of the both of the handouts they gave us, they were Oklahoma uniforms. They're both wearing number eight. And obviously, you see that a lot. Ohio State will have a number two on offense and number two on defense. But the exact same uniform, number eight on both of them, I'm saying, oh, they must have looked at the film and said, we got to get this number eight. Oh, we're not. Let's just get them both. You know? I don't know what how they come about that, but it was – pretty Oklahoma heavy. Maybe right. they were trolling. Maybe they were trolling Baker. Yeah. You know, they, they really didn't pick a lot from, you know, they got uh, York from the SEC, uh, Jerome Ford from Cincinnati, but Cincinnati isn't, you know, necessarily considered to be, uh, I mean, they were a loaded team this year, but not necessarily a big football school. They really sort of went outside the, the big football schools, the UAB and Purdue, and, you know, not to put any of those guys down, you know, Texas Tech or anything like that, but they're not, they weren't plucking people from Alabama and Clemson and so forth and Ohio State this year. Uh, just seemed to me like they, they sort of went outside that circle a bit. Um, next guy I want to talk about is David Bell. I uh, love David Bell. Uh, I think this is a fantastic pick. And uh, not because of his combine numbers, which were not good in the 40, but this guy just produces. And he is caught, uh, I think I, I've got written down here, 232 receptions since 2019 in the college game. He just catches footballs. He just plays the game. I love this pick. What about you, Fred? <clears throat> yeah, I talked to him at the combine, and uh, he was – one of the things we were talking, he, he brought up, Greg Newsom was the best cornerback he ever played against, which I wrote about at the time because obviously Newsom was with the Browns. But, um, yeah, he's just productive. You know, and it used to be you watch the fall and you watch football and you pick football players the, the way they played on their film in the fall. 
And then we started with the off-season combine, the underwear Olympics, and guys, they forget about what they played football and how fast they ran and all those things. Sure, they're important, but the reason he was available in the third round is because he had a slower time, you know, than, than the Olaves and the Burks and all these other guys. But he catches a lot of passes. And here's one thing that stood out to me. He won the Richter Howard Big Ten Wide Receiver of the Year award, meaning he was voted the best wide receiver overall in the Big Ten. The last time I looked, uh, Chris Olave was in the conference and Garrett Wilson was in the conference. And so even if he isn't really a better pro than those two, I think he, you know, he's pretty good. And so he's got size and I think he's got football quickness. He can get open and he can play in the slot and he can play outside. So I think what you're going to see is he could be, you know, the new Jarvis Landry because he's faster than Jarvis is at this stage in his career by almost, I think, 4.5 to Jarvis was like four, seven or something. So I think he has some football quickness. He can get open. And by the, you know, he was fourth in the country in yardage at Purdue. So, and second in the nation in yards per catch. So I think he, he's very productive. And I think that Sean Watson or Deshaun Watson will help some of these receivers even look better, throw them open. You might see more out of, Anthony Schwartz than you might anticipate. You might see more out of Peoples Jones than you anticipate. So that's where it's all coming out is that you got some production with these guys. And uh, I just want to thank the Minnesota Vikings for hiring Queasy uh, and uh, giving us that pick at 99. Uh, I think Andrew Berry has made very good uh, use of it. Um, just a, a related question on the wide receiver that you know, we, we don't have the obvious number two wide receiver. Donovan Peoples-Jones probably in that role right now. But the guy I'm wondering about is Anthony Schwartz, drafted in the third round last year. Uh, Schwartz had that great first game uh, that, uh, you know, made us think that uh, he was going to be terrific. He had some concussion issues later on in the year. Um, what do you expect to see from Schwartz this year, Fred? How do you expect to see him used? Well, you know, it's, it, he, he got injured in, in the spring, and then he pulled a hamstring early in, in training camp. And I was surprised he was ready for the opener. And they almost threw a surprise by making him some, so much an important part in that first game against the Chiefs. I think he had four catches. He had that long one across the middle, and they tried him on the jet sweeps. He had a 17-yard runner. I think he had like six. 61 yards all purpose and then he then he kind of disappeared I think he tweaked the hamstring then he had a concussion later in the year and he never really got back involved till the very end of the season um that's what I said a lot with the young guys they just the light doesn't go on for a while I think this offseason was very important for him and I expect him to take a jump by the Browns' reluctance to really go out and commit to another wide receiver, I think they're counting on Peoples Jones and Swartz to step up and fill those roles. And like I said earlier, I think they think the play of the quarterback will throw some of these guys and make them look better because because Watson can run the ball. He's a dual threat that 
when they go after the quarterback, that will free up some of the receivers as well. So I think Schwartz has a chance, you know, to really have a big jump this year. So that could be why they don't sign another veteran receiver. They feel like they might have him, you know, on the team now. Right. Um, let's, uh, let's just talk briefly about a couple of the other players, Perry and Winfrey. We've talked a little bit about, uh, talented guy, good career at Oklahoma. Uh, Fred, uh, do you think he's, he, do you think it's a reasonable expectation for us to think that Winfrey could start right away? Well, I think depending on what they do with the rest of the time here, I mean, when you look, when you look in that room, you got Sheldon Day, you like him in the rotation. You, you signed Taven Bryan. I don't know if you are are counting on him to start. Um, I think they think right now Jordan Elliott's ready to start. I haven't seen the production. Tommy Togi, I don't think, is ready. Um, so I think Winfrey's probably got as good a chance as any, you know, how he does in, in the training camp in the preseason. But I would really like to get at least one veteran starter that you know you can count on and then and then throw the rest of them guys up and hope you know whoever can win the battle to be the other one I I hate to have two open spots right now you know uh Barry can sign uh Keem Hicks uh Jadavian Clowney trade Hunt for a number two wide receiver and we're done we can just kick back and estimate how badly we beat everyone on our route to 16 and 0 this year uh, just yep. a couple of little holes that need to be filled. And boy, I hope we, we hear some action on those in the next coming, coming weeks. Uh, just two other guys I want to talk about real quick. Obviously the place kicker, uh, Cade York, you, you mentioned him earlier uh, that they really had to go get him and like to take him in the fourth round. Uh, Brown's got, you know, a little criticism for taking him that high. Uh, do you agree with that Fred? Or do you think that, uh, it was such a need that they had to make absolutely sure that they got their guy. Well, why mess around if you're convinced he's the guy that's going to win you four or five games? The kicking game cost you four or five games. It cost you the playoffs or contributed. So you cannot take a chance on a, on somebody that you don't know what you have. So, no. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, pick a guy and hope he makes the team at that point? Right now – you know, a lot of them, they're just trying to build depth. And I just think that it was a great pick. I mean, they felt there was somebody going to take him pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I just think all these people who criticize the Browns, you know, about um, the extreme steps they took to get Watson and taking a place kicker in the fourth round haven't seen what the Browns have been through, you know. Uh, ever since they returned with the quarterback and certainly over the last five years, ever since Phil Dawson left, frankly, uh, with the place kicker position. If he can fix that, if he can solve that, go do it. And in both cases, I think the Browns have have, uh, taken action there. And uh, I'm looking at the clock and I see it's now 8 o'clock and uh, we still have other draftees that we can talk about maybe next week. But uh, I think we are done for the evening. Um, And thanks to everyone for all their questions in the chat room. Per usual, you guys are the best uh, and really appreciate you uh, participating in the program. Thank Uh, you. So for Barry McBride and Fred Breatham, good night, everybody.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.